Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. It's Friday, December 1st, 2017. Our weekly guest on the show is Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly senior writer, who joins me today from his office in Manhattan. Welcome back, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. So the last month of the year has arrived, and just a few more issues remain for the 2017 edition of Publishers Weekly. These are always some of the most anticipated issues of the year, starting with Monday's edition, which features PW's Person of the Year. And drumroll, please, that person is... Carolyn Reedy, the CEO of Simon & Schuster, who uh, in the coming weeks is about to complete her 10th year as president and CEO of Simon & Schuster. Uh, And make no mistake, 2017 has been quite a year for Reedy. So our congratulations to her on taking home this year's top honor. Well, it's not entirely a surprising choice, Andrew. At the Frankfurt Book Fair, where you were part of a panel of journalists that interviewed Carolyn, you noted for this show that Simon & Schuster could boast of seeing eight number one bestsellers on the New York Times list. So is the award all about that recent success? Yeah, you know, pretty much. <laughs> That's right. You know, SNS really has had a terrific year in terms of bestsellers. Um, and I'll also note that last month they added a National Book Award winner to uh, their terrific year with Jessamyn Ward, who uh, is published by Simon & Schuster's Scribner imprint. She took home the Fiction National Book Award for Sing Unburied Sing. But, you know, not really. It's not just that they had a great year this year. This award also sort of notes Carolyn's steady leadership and guiding one of the big five publishers, and she's the only woman at the head of one of the big five publishers, through some pretty rocky waters over the last decade. In many respects, it recognizes almost a decade of pretty solid leadership on her part. You know, she's been with Simon & Schuster since 1992, and during the last decade, she steered the company as CEO through a great recession, a digital disruption, and what really has been sort of a slow growth environment for publishers, and she's kept the house both a commercial and a critical success. You can read more about why we selected Carolyn on the PW website right now, or of course in Monday's issue, but I'll let CBS Honcho, who of course CBS is of course is the parent of Simon & Schuster, I'll let him make the case. He told us in an interview that Reedy has a great grasp of the big picture, is on top of the critical details, and has an infectious enthusiasm for every aspect of publishing that she communicates to the entire company. And for a CEO, that's pretty much the ballgame. I suppose you're right about that, Andrew, but certainly uh, no one gets everything right. And this year, at least for Simon & Schuster, it hasn't been all smooth sailing. Uh, The company got into some hot water over the signing of Milo Yiannopoulos, and it's now in litigation with the author over that book's cancellation. Did the controversy weigh on PW's selection? Yeah, it it did. Of course it did. But speaking personally and not for the entire PW official selection team here, I'll just say this. Does Carolyn bear responsibility for approving the Milo Yiannopoulos deal in the first place? Should she have known better? Eh, Not necessarily. You know, in my experience as a former editor, you want editorial decisions to be made by editors and not overruled by CEOs because they may be controversial. So in that sense, I think she was appropriately hands off. And in fact, as soon as it became clear what kind of book Milo was writing, uh, in consultation with the editor who bought the book, she canceled it. Now, I'm not excusing Reedy entirely here. I do think she should have known better, I believe, than ever to want to get into the Milo business to begin with. And, and I'm not sold that this was handled perfectly, because... 
either way, whether they published the book or whether they canceled it, this was not going to end well. Experience tells you that when it comes to Milo Yiannopoulos. But I do believe that in the end, she made the right calls. And in my opinion, she gave her editor there the autonomy good publishers have to give their staff. And she stepped in when it was clear the book was not going to work. And she did not let the controversy define Simon & Schuster's year, obviously, because it's been an incredible year. And also they published you know, Hillary Clinton on the same list. So, yeah, you can criticize the decision to allow the Milo deal to go forward in the first place. And I think even Carolyn would concede that the signing was a mistake. But overall, I still think she's offered pretty solid leadership through the whole thing. When Beyond the Book returns with PW's Andrew Albanese, we learn that Thanksgiving week proved to be a turkey for bookstores. I'm Christopher Keneally. Publishers Weekly Radio has the very best in book talk directly from New York City, the heart of the book publishing world. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly. And I'm Rose Fox. I'm a Senior Reviews Editor at Publishers Weekly. Join us every Friday for a full hour of exciting author interviews, best-selling books, and expert reports on the nuts and bolts of publishing. Every week, we make sure that you have the inside story of your favorite story. Take a listen at PublishersWeekly.com slash PWRadio. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book with Andrew Albanese of Publishers Weekly. It's Friday, December 1st, and we are looking at the latest news in books and reading. And last week, Andrew, you and I took the day off for Black Friday. Over that long holiday weekend, more than 174 million Americans went shopping in stores and online, according to the National Retail Federation. And remarkably, one-third of those shoppers only did their buying online. The numbers are already in for book sales last week. And what do they tell us about prospects for a bright holiday season for publishers? Well, of course, it's hard to say at this point, but so far, the holiday season appears to be off to a slow start for publishers. Overall, the total print sales fell 3% in the Thanksgiving week that ended November 26th over the comparable week in 2016. And that's according to MPD BookScan. Unit sales fell 9% in the mass merchandiser channel, so not good news there either. While you know sales to retailers and clubs and, uh, and other channels like that, they dipped about 1%. But despite flagging sales over the holiday week and stumbling a bit in the summer months, it's not all bad news. MPD reports that print unit sales are still up about 2% in the first 47 weeks of 2017 over 2016. So as we enter the home stretch here, um, so some make-or-break sales come Coming up for this holiday season for the publishing industry. And a survey of librarians is also just out, and it has insights on demand in libraries for ebooks. So, Andrew, are librarians happy with where the ebook market stands? Yes. So, you know, we talk a lot about where the consumer ebook market is these days, and we haven't talked that much about how library ebooks are doing. Uh, so, Readers First recently came out with a survey sort of asking libraries how they were feeling about the ebook market these days. And, you know, to be blunt, no, librarians are not satisfied with the way they are able to buy and offer ebooks to their patrons. And that was all confirmed by this really great survey, as I mentioned, it was done by the group Readers First, in which librarians were asked to weigh in on all the different 
different current models that they're currently buying ebooks under and to rank them and sort of say a little bit about them. And the comments were really fascinating on this. Just to step back for a moment, our readers will recall the library ebooks were a really contentious issue for a number of years from 2012 to about 2014. And we spoke quite a bit about this issue on this program. Uh, some of the major publishers initially refused to even sell ebooks to libraries. Now, by the end of 2014, all the major publishers were in. But the problem is today that libraries all face these different models for buying ebooks from different publishers. And they're really hard to manage, both from a collection standpoint and from a budget standpoint. I'll refer listeners to the article in Monday's issue of PW and on the web on Friday. Uh, you can look at the results there from the Breeders First survey. But I spoke with Michael Blackwell, who works with Readers First. He's a librarian at St. Mary's Public Library in Maryland. And he told me that the main takeaway for him for the survey was that librarians really need flexibility in multiple models, and they want them on a title-by-title basis for books so that they can meet peak demand in their libraries. Uh, The fact is no single business model currently available is adequate to meet their needs, and they'd really like to be able to pay for and toggle between separate models to meet different periods of peak demand for their library users. And he says if a variety of models were offered, the data shows that librarians would probably spend even more on ebook content. Now, currently, just to backtrack again here, the models among the big five publishers are vastly different. There are these so-called metered models. There are those that cap the number of lens before a title must be relicensed. There's another model where the titles expire after a year or two, regardless of whether the book has been lent out 26 times or lent out at all. Uh, One publisher, Random House, the largest publisher, Penguin Random House, I should say, only sells books on a perpetual access model. Now, that means libraries have to pay more to get the title, but the book is theirs forever in theory. Now, all of these models are one user at a time. And here comes the wrinkle. HarperCollins is actually experimenting with a streaming model for its backlist books, although they refuse to call it a streaming model, but suffice it to say, it's a model where multiple patrons can access titles of the collection at the same time, much like a movie on Netflix. Uh, And I'll just wrap up here with two interesting little nuggets that I think show how tough it really is for librarians in the market right now for eBooks. And one is that while librarians in theory really like the idea of offering multiple access uh, to, to a title to their users, users, the survey results suggest that it's difficult for them to manage budget-wise, because if a book takes off, it can eat up your whole budget. But the most unpopular model was Random House's perpetual access model. It's just too expensive, and really, who needs 500 perpetual access digital copies of an ebook after its popularity has ended? And that brings me back to what librarians do want, and that's they want to be able to you know utilize all these models as demand warrants, and they want them at reasonable prices. So uh, I'll close by saying. Don't hold your breath for any changes here. You know, publishers do want to be able to say that they're in the library market, but in truth, I don't see their interest really in serving digital library readers the best that they can. Uh, Rather, they want to protect their consumer sales. And as long as so many on the publishing side still see a library read as a lost sale, there's really likely not to be much movement, especially now that they're all in the library game and they can say that they lend library eBooks. Nevertheless, uh, for those interested, this survey is a really terrific snapshot of where library eBooks are at the end of 2017. And you can check that out on the Publishers Weekly website uh, at this moment.
So to check out a book from a library, you need a library card. And for the latest news in books and publishing, listeners can check out Beyond the Book, where every Friday, PW's Andrew Albanese joins us here. Thanks for speaking with me, Andrew. My pleasure, as always. Next on Beyond the Book, a scanlation is a fan-created translation of manga that helped to carry the Japanese comics form beyond the island of Japan, beginning in the 1970s. As Kay Winters of Los Angeles-based Tokyo Pop tells me, publishers lived with scanlations for decades until they nearly destroyed the business in the early years of the 21st century. Around the 90s, it was very much still a fan passion project. It was done as a way to bring over titles that were still unknown um, around the world to the English-speaking world. But there was a sort of unspoken agreement between publishers and fans that when we picked up a title that we licensed that we were going to publish, the fans would then take it down from their website and put up a message saying, hey guys, this has been licensed, go buy it. And... At some point, that changed. A species of copyright infringement native to the manga world. Next on Beyond the Book. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center, a global leader in content management, discovery, and document delivery solutions. Through its relationships with those who use and create content, CCC and its subsidiaries RightsDirect and Ixis drive market-based solutions that accelerate knowledge, power publishing, and advance copyright. Beyond the Book co-producer and recording engineer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book. 